Hello, everybody. It's our favorite time of the week, Tuesday, 7 p.m., because right now it's the Talk That Talk show with Barry Holmes, and that's me. Um, here we are. <laughs> it's funny to say that, you know, we're, we're at, you know, episode six now, and I've really been, how could I say, just humbled to just see how well and how, you know, well-received this show has been. And, you know, to say that, you know, with five episodes, we have 356 plays. Um, two episodes we have already have went over 100 plays. We're streaming in 15 different countries. And, you know, I'm just really excited to just see how far this podcast can go. And, you know, everyone out there that's been listening in every week, everyone out there that's subscribed to our podcast, um, who's you know, done everything that they needed to do. I really am excited to keep giving you guys these episodes and that's what we're going to just keep doing here. We're going to make it happen for us and, you know, just keep getting better with each episode. Um, there was some, there was a funny thing that happened, um, as we were trying to get this episode started and how we were, you know, experiencing a little bit of Wi-Fi difficulties at home and we're scrambling to try and call Optimum Online to make sure that we could, you know, get the Wi-Fi out there. And I called my dad and, and I was like, yo, what are we going to do? I'm not going to be able to do this podcast. And we had already had it set up to where, you know, potentially we would use the mobile hotspots to, you know, get the get the show up and running and, you know, I debated at one time to, you know, maybe we could push it back because, you know, we haven't been able to get the Wi-Fi going. But, you know, we were able to make it happen and we are here for our sixth episode through all technical difficulties. You know, sometimes there's going to be some barriers that will be put in between your way. You just got to find a way to try and, you know, brush through them. Um, over this past weekend, I don't know if, you know, you, a lot of people know, but I'm a huge avid bowler. Um, I bowl in a league two nights a week with my father. And, you know, one of the great things that's been, um, how could I say, humbling and also, you know, happy for me was just the fact of how well I've increased my game and how better I've gotten with bowling. Um, I, I can say that I've won a bowling tournament. I can say that my team is fighting for first place. We're in second place right now. And, you know, I went and I actually bowled in the state tournament with my father. And it was, and, and I have to say, you know, for that experience for me, it had to be one of the most like, you know, awesome and deflating experiences at the same time. Because, you know, coming into the tournament, I thought that I was a very good bowler, you know, at sitting with my 180 average. And I thought that, hey, you know, I could actually do something. But then when I figured it out, or when we got there, we found out there was a sport shot pattern which is an oil pattern that, you know, isn't necessarily the easiest one to bowl on. And it's something that the professionals bowl on. My sister who bowls in college bowls on it. And in six games in the state tournament, I wasn't able to hit my average just one time. I did it one time and that was it. And that was really difficult because, you know, I was coming in there riding my high thinking like, oh, you know, I was doing really well. But, you know, it was just so humbling to see that, you know, even as far as, as my bowling game has come, I still have so much more to do to, to get better. And I think we can apply that same thing to a lot of things in our life where, you know, we think that we're, you know, at a really great spot, but, you know, something just comes and knocks us off. 
But, you know, two, they, it can go two ways with that. We can either, you know, step back and let that, you know, affect us and say, ah, we're not going to do that anymore because it's too hard. Or you have people that get up and fight. And, you know, I was, you know, for me to just get my average one time on that oil pattern, you know, it was a fight for me that, that I was very proud of. And, you know, me and my father afterwards, we got some, you know, food and drinks with one of the guys that we bowl with. And it was just an amazing experience because I got to spend time with my father and just enjoy myself. So, you know, bowling is a very humbling sport because you can throw the best ball in the world and still have leave that 10 pin. So, you know, it's kind of cool that I've been able to apply some of those life, you know, things to bowling. You know, there's going to be times where we're out there and you're killing it and, you know, something is going to come in your way. So you're just going to have to push through it. And that's what that's what makes us humans is we, you know, we can get better each and every day and we can fight and persevere. And that's what this show, Talk That Talk Show, is all about. Um, when I when I started this podcast, I was afraid, you know, I was afraid that, you know, I would fail. I was afraid that no one would listen. But, you know, life is about overcoming those fears. And that's what I've been able to do with that Talk That Talk show. So, you know, I'm here Every Tuesday, 7 p.m., I'm going to deliver some of the most awesome sports news, up-to-date sports news at the time. And you can always count on me to give you my perspective on the sports that we have and we, we watch every single day. So thank you to everyone out there watching. Um, and I'm going to get this show started. So the first thing that I want to talk about here today is the fact that the Knicks have clinched the worst record in the league. Right now, we sit at 16 and 64, and with two games left, we have one game to either tie the record for the worst team in the league, I mean, in, in franchise history, in New York Knicks history, or if we win both of these games, we can avoid being the worst team in Knicks history. Um, tonight, we're playing Chicago in Chicago at 8 p.m., uh, we were able to beat them last week. So, you know, this is a very winnable game for the Knicks. Um, they've already clinched the worst record in the league. Um, you know, that we'll get into a little bit of what that means as far as, you know, the draft lottery and stuff. But, you know, they also have a game tomorrow against Detroit. Sadly, I might need a sub for bowling because I was asked if I could cover that game. <laughs> One of the times um, when I was actually there, for that season in New York where they had the worst, you know, it was the worst in history. Um, and it was a tough season to watch. But on the last game, they let everyone in the garden actually eat free food out of the concession. So, you know, aside from figuring out if the Knicks are going to become the worst team in history, um, we'll, we'll have to see if they're giving out the free food like they did that last time. So that's a little funny uh, side note. But... Um, I think that, you know, when you think about this entire season for the Knicks, it's really just going to be known as, you know, the year that we tanked for Zion or the year for Zion. And, you know, I say that in saying that he's obviously going to be the overall unanimous number one pick. We know Zion, what he did in the tournament. We know how versatile he is. And it was funny when I'm looking him up, you know, they describe him as a point center which is kind of ridiculous. I know we, you know, see that a little bit with Giannis, but, you know, this guy, you know, Zion Williamson is going to be an amazing player. And when I started to look and see what it meant for the Knicks to be that, you know, worst team in the league, what does that mean? And 
quite frankly, it really doesn't mean anything. I was looking into, you know, what, what the the balls are going to look like. And with New York right now, with the worst team being in the NBA, they only have a 14% chance of getting the number one pick. Cleveland also has a 14% chance of getting the number one pick. Phoenix also has a 14% chance of getting the number one pick. Chicago, who is 22 and 58, they have a 12.5% chance of getting the number one pick. And Atlanta, who has Trey Young balling out of his mind, has a 10.5% chance of getting the number one pick. So if you look at this, you know, in, in this race for the bottom, you have five teams that pretty much have, have the same amount of chance to get the number one pick. New York, by being the last team, only has about a 3% chance higher than Atlanta. What? And that's what's, you know, a little bit difficult about how they changed this draft lottery this year because what they did was they brought down the percentages in the old format that what's always been since the draft lottery first started with David Stern. If you were the last team in the NBA, you would get a 25% chance of getting the number one pick. And then the second to last would get the 19.9% chance. And then the third to last would get a 15.6. We can thank Sam Hinkey from the Philadelphia 76ers who they got out of there. It's so funny because everybody screams, trust the process, trust the process. But really, they should be saying, trust Sam Hinkie. And they fired the guy. And, you know, they were the ones who really took the tanking to another level when they kept giving away seasons and stockpiling these picks. And now we're starting to see how it works out because they're a playoff team and a major contender. But what the NBA tried to do is take away from the tanking by bringing down the percentage of being the last place player. But when I think about it, I'm a thinking guy. I'm a smart guy. And I think about this, and in this new format, you're rewarding the bottom feeders. I mean, the guys that are in the bottom five all really have a similar chance of getting that number one pick. So when you think about it, when the Knicks clinching the worst record in the NBA, what did they really clinch? If we still have the same percentage as Cleveland and Phoenix at getting that last pick, I mean, that first pick. So, you know, a lot of people are happy saying, oh, this is great that we clinched, you know, the worst record in the league. But, I mean, we are, we still have to pick that, you know, that ball, that number one ball for the Knicks. Um, it's not a, a certainty that we are going to get Zion. And, you know, I think, you know, Knicks fans out there, we're going to have to prepare for that and, you know, really look and see what other options are there going to be behind Zion Williamson, okay? Because if we get that number one pick, yes, we will pick Zion Williamson. But I want what I want the viewers to understand is, is that the chances of getting Zion are going to be very, very difficult. So, you know, moving forward, I think that if the Knicks do get the second or third pick, They'll be fine with getting, you know, John Morant or getting R.J. Barrett. I mean, both of those guys can really play. But, you know, it the problem really is in that lottery system. I think that, you know, in the back, you know, with the way that it used to be, it kind of takes away from the tanking because, yes, that number one pick does. But 
I think that you really have to look at the other people, the other bottom feeders, and who that rewards with this new system. So we're just going to have to see how the ping-pong balls shake out. And I, I just hope the Knicks do get Zion, but, you know, the numbers aren't looking too, you know, confident for me. So uh, we, we got a lot to look forward with, to with this NBA draft, and it's going to be nice to tune into. Um, one of the things that I've been really happy to – you know, talk about is baseball. I think baseball is relevant now with, you know, the weather breaking. Um, you know, I wore shorts to work the other day when I was going to Newark. So, you know, we're starting to see with the warm weather, you know, this is the welcoming in of baseball. And I've been getting a lot of flack from my friends because I am a big Mets fan. But what I will say is I got to give some love to the Yankees. All right. So, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, these Yankees that are second in the AL East. Um, they're sitting at a five and five record. Um, they swept Baltimore. I mean, you can always count on Baltimore these days to get you know give you a couple wins when when you're down. But um, they lost to Houston yesterday, four to three. Um, they're gonna, they're, you know, the Yankees. I think when we look at you know the success of their team right now, we gotta kind of start to look at you know what are they gonna do when they are fully healthy. It really has been the story of who, not who's been on the field for the Yankees, but Really, who's been off the field? Um, when you look at the injuries that they've had, I mean, you got Luis Severino, who's got a shoulder injury. Giancarlo Stanton with his biceps. Uh, CeCe Sabathia, who's going to be coming back this uh, the next weekend against the White Sox, but he's missed time with a knee and chest injury. Um, you got Andujar with his shoulder injury, who's just starting to now take ground balls. And then, you know, Bentances, who's, you know, finally starting to face batters yesterday. But, I mean, the list goes on with, you know, the injuries that the Yankees have had. And it, it's it, – and we forgot even about Didi Gregorius, who's still on a 60-day DL. And, you know, these are, you know, key guys for the Yankees who, you know, get them wins. And, you know, it's very hard to go out there in the major leagues and get wins when a lot of your best players are hurt, you know. Um, when you look at the guys who've been on the field for the Yankees – you gotta you gotta really give some credit here to Gary Sanchez, who's you know really taken over that everyday catching role over you know Austin Romine, which has been huge for the Yankees because when you look at Aaron Judge, who you know only has you know three home runs, and I say only has three home runs because you know we how could I say we've gotten really used to the fact of how many home runs he can hit. I mean they don't have Giancarlo Stanton out there either because of his injury, so. You know, when you have Gary Sanchez, who's leading the team in home runs, he's also leading the team in RBIs. You know, he's hitting 250. This, this is a guy that, you know, has really helped the Yankees to, you know, sustain, you know, to, to try and keep their head above water with all the injuries that they've had, you know, in their place, you know. Um, I think it's really big also because if you look at the postseason for the Yankees before, they were actually had discussions or debates on whether Gary Sanchez should even start, you know, in the in the postseason. So I'm really happy to see this guy. And when you think about, you know, the power that some of these guys have, that really will get you at bats, depending on whether you're a great defensive guy or not. If you can get some power on the ball and, you know, hit them out the park, they're going to find a place to put you out there. So, you know, I think the Yankees will be fine once – you know, they're able to get all their key players back and healthy because it's really hard to judge how well this Yankee team is or how much better they've gotten um, without seeing all their best guys. 
think DJ LeMahieu has been also a bright spot from them coming over from Colorado. So, you know, I think the Yankees are going to be in good shape. They just have to get healthy. But I've been fair to the Yankees, so now I really got to get to my team that I really love and adore. It's my New York Mets. I'm really happy to say that, you know, we're sitting at a 6-3 and three record, you know, second in the NL East. I know, you know, Philly is in number one. Um, I've got a lot of people, a lot of my Philly guys out there that have been saying that the Phillies are going to take the NL East. But, you know, I think that when you look at this Mets team right now and some of the things that we've pretty much seen with them in these first nine games, you got to look and see that this team is really kind of overachieving. Um, you got Jacob DeGrom, who you re-signed back, you know, got him this confidence by paying him the money. And he's sitting at a 2-0 and record with a zero ERA. So if there's anybody who didn't understand and didn't think he was worth the money that he's worth, go look at that right now and see that this guy is out there giving the, the Mets quality starts. He's pitching tonight against Minnesota. I'm probably going to be watching that once I'm done with this podcast. But, you know, the Mets, have, you know, they lost two out of three from Washington, you know, at City Field in their first opening series, which was kind of funny to me because I looked and, you know, we beat them two out of three in Washington when they opened up the season. And when I think about that, when they beat Washington in the Nationals Park, I kind of have to think, are we pressing at home? You know, are we trying too hard to, to win games at home? Um, I know, you know, home is where you want to protect. But, you know, especially early on in the season when the Mets were doing as well as we have, I know they want to, you know, win games for, you know, the home crowd. But they just have to really look and, and, and think about some of the things that have made them successful and just try not to press. I mean, if you look at, you know, Michael Conforto, he's hitting 351 and he's got two home runs, four RBIs, 13 hits in his last nine games. Um, I'm looking at this guy and... I really like Michael Conforto out there in left field. And what he gives you is an everyday left fielder when he is healthy and a guy who's going to put contact on the ball, um, especially with Cespedes being hurt and, you know, us not being able to see him out there. It's, you know, it's really important for Michael Conforto to go out there for the Mets and just play solid defense and, you know, get the bat on the ball. Um, one of the really huge things that has made the Mets as good as they have been right now has been, you know, the wonderful story of Pete Alonzo. Um, you're talking about, you know, a guy who has really catapulted the Mets and put some, you know, some pop into that bat. Bam! He has been hitting 382 with six doubles, three home runs, and 11 RBIs. Talk that talk! The main thing with him is he has a 432 on-base percentage, and that's really crucial for these young hitters because a lot of times, you know, we've been caught in the era of, you know, the launch angle of when you hit the ball and trying to hit the balls out of the park. But when you look at the, uh, a guy in Pete Alonso who can hit to all sides of the field and has shown power, you know, that is what you want to see from these young hitters. So I'm really happy to to go out there and, and watch Pete Alonzo play every day for the Mets because what he's given us is, you know, that solid hitter in the lineup that we honestly didn't think we were going to get. Um, but one of the things that we haven't been getting has been hitting from Brandon Nimmo. And it's kind of been something that's, you know, been so bad and so, uh, to quote Walt Frazier, so dubious that 
You know, he's been hitting 103. He struck out in more than three times in four games this season. And that includes one Golden Sobrero game against Miami on the third. Um, when when you have a guy that's supposed to be your leadoff hitter and also supposed to be the speed in the lineup, it, it's very hard for your team to be successful or, you know, to start games off when you have that leadoff guy that's not getting hits for you. Get your hitting shoes on. Yeah, it's terrible. And especially for him to have the speed that he does, he hasn't really been getting, you know, been able to get those stolen base opportunities because of the fact that he hasn't gotten on base. So Brandon Nimmo is somebody now that we have to talk about is whether is he an everyday player or not. And when you look at the other guys, we have, you know, Juan Lagares, who, who when he's healthy, he's, he's a good defensive center fielder. Um, he's a gold glove winner. So he's solid out there in center field. Then you also have Michael Conforto, who's hitting the ball really well, and he's out there in left field. So now you're sacrificing not only a little bit of defense and of arm that's supposed to be in right field, supposed to be your strongest arm, but now you're sacrificing hitting. So when I look and I see Jeff McNeil, who's hitting 409, and he has a 519 on base percentage, and I'm looking at Keon Broxton, who's hitting 308 with a 400 on base percentage with two stolen bases, which is something that the Mets don't really particularly have, which is speed. Definitely need it. You got to look and see if we can maybe switch McNeil and Broxton out for Nimmo. I know Nimmo's, you know, the guy that we like, the, you know, the homegrown guy that everybody's really happy for and wants to be out there. But the bottom line is this, you know, in New York sports, you have to be objective. And the one person that isn't been do that has not been doing well for the Mets has been Brandon Nimmo. So you might have to try and, you know, get somebody else out there as far as McNeil or Broxton. If you ask me, I say Keon Broxton needs to go in there. He can bat in that leadoff spot. Um, he's had, you know, experiences being in the leadoff spot at different teams. He's an experienced veteran. So I have no problems in putting Keon Broxton in there in right field instead of Brandon Nimmo. And also, he's played in all the outfield positions this year already. So you're looking at a versatile outfielder that you could potentially slide in there because hitting leadoff is not easy. So I think that, you know, when the Mets go, you know, moving forward, you know, we're doing really well, you know, with Jacob deGrom being the head of the train. Um, you know, these young hitters, you know, Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, um, they're, they're doing what they need to do. To, and, and Oh, and J.D. Davis. I can't, I can't forget about J.D. Dave, Davis. I actually picked him up in my fantasy league. Uh, I have a home runs only fantasy league, and I picked him up. He's a guy that, you know, we picked up, and he's been hitting solid for the Mets too. So, you know, our young hitting is what's keeping us afloat here. You know, we got our solid pitching and Jacob DeGrom at the top followed by Noah Syndergaard. I know he had a tough start the last time, but he'll bounce right back. Um, I look at that rotation, and I see that, you know, with Zach Wheeler having a little bit of those location issues in his last start, and, you know, Steven Matz having, you know, pitch count issues, you know, that bottom of that rotation, especially with Jason Vargas being, you know, 30 years and older, uh, he... He really is going to have to round out Mickey Calloway is going to have to find a way to get that bottom of his rotation to get a little bit better and more quality starts because it would be a shame to see this Mets team not make the playoffs when uh, Jacob DeGrom is just pitching out of his mind. Um, it was tough to see him almost win that Cy Young Award, not even having a, a positive record last year, but he wound up 
think being even, but um, the Mets are going to go as far as our pitching and our hitting is going to take us. So if we need to make that switch out for uh, either McNeil or Broxton for Nimmo, if they can make that, I see that we, you know, will continue to win these series and become, you know, a force out in the NL East. I think that our that's our division to take. And the Phillies are a really tough team, but, you know, we're, we're, we're coming. We are coming for them. And one of the other things that I saw in the news, which I kind of was a little bit difficult to, to see because, you know, I really like this guy, Zion Williamson. Um, he has all the things in the world. But there were some reports that came out that Zion did ask for a job, money, and housing from his recruiters. Um, I did my research a little bit, and there was a situation, and I looked it up at the date, and this was actually in October of the 16th of October in 2018, so just last year, there were some allegations that said that, you know, the Adidas reps were talking to the Kansas, you know, assistant coach, trying to see how they were going to be able to get Zion Williamson over there. Now, I know that he didn't go to Kansas, so whatever efforts that they had did not work. But I just want you to read, I just want you to listen to this quote between the conversation between these two. And this was actually reported by Bleacher Report. Um, if you're worried about, you know, whether it's credible or not, Bleacher Report is very credible. So um, they actually had a recording that was, uh, I guess, intercepted between the Adidas rep in that being Merrill Code, and then the Kansas assistant being Curtis Townsend. And it starts by him saying, hey, but between me and you, he asked about some stuff. I know what he's asking for. He's asking for opportunities from an occupational perspective. He's asking for cash in the pocket, and he's asking for housing for him and his family. If that's what it takes to get him here for 10 months, we're going to have to do it some way. And I read that because, you know, Duke has been investigating some claims as to whether Nike had paid Zion Williamson's mom. And it's really interesting because the California lawyer who kind of broke this story, his name is Michael Avenetti, but he's making claims and he's also being accused of trying to extort Nike with the information that he has. And I look to this and... Some of the claims are saying, especially from this, this lawyer, he actually tweeted out saying that the mother needs to answer what were the consulting services in 2016-17 that she got from Nike. So Zion's mother got paid by Nike in some sort of consulting services. Um, USA tried to reach out to Nike, and Nike did not respond to USA Today. So I think this is a very interesting story. I know it kind of doesn't really matter, you know, because Zion is probably going to the NBA and he's probably going to sign a $100 million contract. But the fact of the matter is, this kind of brings a, a bigger issue as far as, you know, a lot of these college athletes that aren't getting paid. Um, I know that it does happen as far as, you know, some of these teams getting, you know, players that are getting compensated from, you know, Nike or Adidas. One of my boys, Ken Miller, who I work with, he always jokes and says, you know, everybody's giving them the bag. These these guys out there are getting the bag. And I always try to, like, dispel them on that and you know, try and dismiss it because I like to believe that, 
you know, this is the highest level of the game, so they try to keep the integrity to it. But the reality is, and Zion pretty much makes this a reality of, you know, these guys are getting paid under the table. And it's kind of started to be in time that they just get paid on the table. Um, they're going out there and they're selling out these arenas that hold over 10, 20,000, you know, people. And, you know, those tickets aren't cheap to these games. And, you know, you go on to the websites and you can buy these guys jerseys or for their likeness. And, and it's really a shame that, you know, you, you they have to kind of make bribes under the table to to go and make decisions to getting a higher education and just to, to play the sport that they love. Um, I think that if we're able to, you know, at least give these guys something, some sort of compensation, because the the real people that are getting the money here is the university and all the people that, you know, have their parts and fingers and getting some of that money, um, especially off someone's likeness that they're not getting anything out of. Um, I think that the scholarships are awesome because at the end of the day, when you're getting a scholarship to play a sport, that's an amazing thing. My my sister does that and she's getting a bowling scholarship and you know she's going to do a lot that's going to help with her future as far as being financially stable because of getting that scholarship um getting a college education is not an easy thing and it's something that's very highly held accountable for and what people look for when job searching or just you know in general in in your life after college but you know for that time being when these student athletes and I say student athletes because it's very hard to be that but when they're out there, you know, giving their blood, sweat, and tears for some people in the stands that are drinking beer at their expense, I think it's about time that we start to compensate these guys. And I'm not saying you have to pay them a million dollars. I'm not saying that you have to pay them per, you know, jersey sale that they have. But there's there's got to be some sort of fair number here that we can give all the athletes to pretty much give them, you know, some sort of compensation for the work that they do every day. Um, I hate to see that something like this, a story like this being broke, would, you know, just kind of tarnish what Zion Williamson has been able to accomplish in just his one year at Duke. I, I, you know, you see that, you know, instead of us talking about, you know, how awesome of a player he's been, now we're talking about, you know, oh, the money and what's going to happen with him. So I think that, you know, we're somewhere down the road, we got to find a way to get these guys compensated. And, you know, in the end, something good will happen because, you know, you got to believe in the integrity of the game and you got to believe that the people that are in the positions that they are can kind of make it fair and make that happen. So let's see if we can get these guys their money because they sure enough deserve it. Um, and, and it's pretty crazy because now we're at the end of our show. Um, it's really awesome that, you know, we've been consistent. You know, I know it sounds like a broken record, but you know, the, the major thing about, you know, podcasts when I've done my research and one of the things that people say is that most podcasts fail because of inconsistency. People don't know when the the, uh, the episodes are going to be. And then the people that do the podcasting aren't consistent with putting out content. So I'm just really happy that I've been able to, you know, continue to push out the show for you all. I'm really happy that I have people out there that have been watching. I want to shout out my boy Steve Taglarini for watching. Thank you so much. Shout out my man Zeeshan Abbas. He uh, produces the beats for the show when you listen on uh, Spotify, when you listen on Google Podcasts, when you listen on iTunes. So I want to shout him out for also always tuning in and helping out. 
I want to shout out my boy Reese Smith. I need to see a little bit more on PUBG, brother. Um, I also want to shout out my boy Mike Greer, um, Alex Balonis, who's been, you know, really messaging me a lot about, you know, how he's been liking the show and, you know, we're talking sports. So I really enjoy that. So thank you so much, Alex, for tuning in and, you know, thank you for supporting. I want to shout out my boy uh, Khaled Bud. Um, wow, I haven't, you know, heard from him in a while. And uh, it's really awesome to see that you reached out on the show. So thank you for that. And then also, as always, always want to shout out my boy, Jeff Farrell. He's been, um, you know, he's been really happy that his Nets have made the playoffs. Um, they are a playoff team. It's crazy to say that, that, you know, the Knicks haven't made the playoffs and the Nets are out there. So, you know, I'm going to be rooting for the Nets in Go the playoffs. Nets, Jeff! Yes, I'm going to be rooting for them to win. Um they're going to have they're I don't know if they're going to make it out the first round but you know that's huge for New York sports to at least have a team out there that's represented in the playoffs. Um I also want to shout out our sponsors as always, Executive Bar and Restaurant located on 30 Menu Street in Carteret, New Jersey. They have some of the best drinks and the best food, I promise you. Um Prashant, he makes a, a really awesome dish, so please go and check him out. Um, also want to shout out VW Liquors as always. Um, my boy Dave is a huge Mets fan. Let's go Mets! Let's go Mets! We always shout that out for Dave, so got to give a big shout out to him. And then also for uh, Cody Bromley at 91s.com. Um, he has a really awesome clothing line. All the best acid wash clothing, hats, crew necks, um, sweaters, you name it, tanks, he's got it. It's going to be especially good to wear when um, the summertime hits. Uh, the spring is breaking with the weather. So go to his website. The code is ACID20, and you can get yourself some fresh threads. So shout out to Cody Bromley. And, you know, just shout out to all my, my viewers out there. Um, you know, we've come a long way, you know, in six episodes already. And it's just going to be really awesome to see how far we do go with this. Um, the sky's the limit. And as long as you all just keep tuning in, I'm going to keep pumping it out, okay? So thank you, everybody, to listening in to the Talk That Talk show with Barry Holmes. We're here every Tuesday at 7 p.m., and I love you all, and I'll see you next week.